You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. We'll be also putting the verses on the screen if you'd like to follow along there. You can find it in those Bibles that are in the seats there. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, please feel free to take one. Um, they're our gift to you. Happy to take one. If you want to take one and give it to a friend, you can take it and give it to a friend. Those Bibles are for you. Please feel free to take them as you need them. Um, and those are the soft cover ones, just making sure. This is you know, not the ones that are like in, this, in the backs of the pews because we'll get in trouble for those because those aren't ours. We just rent this building, right? This is another church. So please don't take those Bibles. Soft cover Bibles. Soft cover Bibles you can take. There you go. Um, that's it. Thank you, Don. Um, so uh, we're, we're in the middle of a series on the life of David, and uh, we're basically um, taking a look at his life, and David was called a man after God's own heart. And it's really interesting, um, again, because God is the one who said that. God is the one who called David a man after his own heart. So it wasn't like, you know, David claimed it. It was that uh, the one who actually knows, God says, hey, that guy, he's like me. He's got a heart like me. Uh, it's like if you were to ever say about anybody else, you know, these are my people, like this person gets me, you know, they're uh, like you, you wouldn't say that, you know, so loosely, you know, because it would, it would let the whole world um, uh, think about, you, you know, what you are. So you want to be cautious with, with, how you, with how you say that. God says David is a man after my own heart. And so we've been taking a look at what does that mean? Like, what does it mean that David was a man after God's own heart? And why would God say that? And uh, so the beginning, we, talk, we looked at just sort of where David fit in history and his context, that David was a humble, he had a humble heart. And that was the first characteristic, right? It says he fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. So David was a name in the story. He was just a name, but he fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. He did his job well. The second week, we looked at just David's beginnings as a, as a shepherd boy, right? And then anointed by Samuel to be king. And then he goes back to being a shepherd boy. That a heart after God is hopeful, right? Like when God makes you a promise, but it's not yet, and you're just sort of in this waiting. You know, some, some of us are, are living in a state where we feel like more, we're hoping for more, but we're not there yet. So it's kind of like way down the road and we're here. What do you do in the waiting? Well, David never lost hope. It could have been easy between when he was anointed king and became king. We said it was anywhere from 15 to 20 years. It's a long time to hope for something. You know, some of you have been hoping for things perhaps even longer than that. A heart after God never loses hope. It never gives up on those promises. The third week, we looked at David and Goliath, probably the most famous story, you know, in, in maybe, maybe the, the Bible, you know, next to Jesus resurrecting. Like, this is like a big story. Um, David had this uncommon confidence in God, right? Talk about faith and fear. They have the same definition, right? Fear is the belief that what hasn't happened yet will. And faith is the belief that what hasn't happened yet will. <laughs> it's the same definition, both words. The only difference is who you expect to win. Right? Fear is faith in the enemy. Right? Faith is believing that God's got it. So you get to decide who, but that's the difference. And David was facing Goliath, and he chose to have faith in God rather than fear in the enemy. It enabled him to conquer him, so a heart after God is fearless. It, it's not going to, it, it just believes that God is big enough, and, and, and God's not going to lose. Uh, then we moved into you know, David serving Saul as a musician, right? That Saul was tormented, had some mental uh, just challenges and struggles, and David came and sang songs. And you know, when you're going through mental mental just stress, as our world is, so many struggling with mental illness and things. But if you're a Saul like that, God is sending Davids to you, people to come and to bring you comfort. 
That's a, you know, so David, David's heart was one that was compassionate. And uh, also, if you are a David and you, you don't struggle with that, God might be sending you to Saul, to someone who needs that and how to do that. And then last week, we looked at David's best friend, Jonathan. Right? He, was a, he was just a, listen, Jonathan was like that A, you know, BFF for life, best friend ever. Um, he was the king's son, Saul's son. So his dad is not being good to David, but Jonathan's being abundantly good. Jonathan's the prince. He's supposed to be next in line, but he says, David, I trust I think you're the man for the job. And Jonathan just encourages him and believes in, in David. And we all need a Jonathan in our life. We need somebody who's going to speak into us and encourage us when we're, we're not even believing in who we are, maybe giving up on that promise. So along the way, somebody to come alongside and say, hey, I believe in what God's called you to do. You need to see it all the way through. We need a Jonathan. If you don't have a Jonathan in your life, the best way to get a Jonathan in your life is to start being a Jonathan. If you are an encourager to somebody else and you believe in them, it's amazing what begins to happen, right? It's, it, it might seem counterintuitive, but you become a good friend to someone, and, and it's amazing what God begins to create in your own life. And this week we're going to pick up where that story left off. So David and Jonathan are good friends. They had just split because David's like, hey, listen, your dad, Saul, he's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, I don't think he's trying to kill you. And then Jonathan was like, no, no, he's definitely trying to kill you. Yeah, he's, he's trying to kill you. You should probably leave. So David leaves, he's, he's out, and he now begins a season of life which we'll call um, on the run in caves. Like he's just on the run, right? That's it. So we're going to pick it up, First Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, and it'll be on the screen. It says this, it says, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And soon his brothers and all his relatives joined him there. Verse 2 says, Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented, until David was the captain of about 400 men. So let's just pause for a minute. Here's David, right? Shepherd boy. Okay, chosen by God, anointed by the priest to be the next king of Israel, but nothing but faithful. Right? David's done everything right all along the way. Um, rose to the occasion, heroically defeated a, you know, this giant. Like he's done everything amazing. Saved his country. Never been eager to claim authority as king. Right? Not, he served the king well. Was a musician to help the king when he's suffering from deep pain. But nothing but good and right, and his reward is that the king now is trying to kill him. I did enough. I did everything right. I've just been trying to be good. Like God's put this on. My, what, a, what, what the heck did I do? And he finds himself now alone in a cave, hiding. Right? He's just trying to like escape, so he's not getting he's not getting killed. So let me ask you: How many of you right now would love a cave? I'm not talking like a man cave. I'm just talking like, you know what? It'd be nice just to, just to run away. Just to, just, listen, I got so much garbage going on in my life. It'd be so much easier to just go hide in a cave and escape. I don't know. I mean, I got, I got quiet. But listen, slowly people began to gather around David until there was 400 men. That's a big cave. <laughs> There's 400 people in that cave. And that's actually uh, potentially a site where, where, that, where, David, where David may have been. That's actually one of the possible sites of the cave of Agilom. That, that could be where it was. It was a place like that, sort of this, you know, fortress, if you will, in rock. It says, slowly people began to gather around him. I think it's interesting. It says his brothers came to him, right, which is really interesting because what do we know about his brothers? They've been nothing but antagonistic to him. Along the way, because they got passed over for being king, right? So they're jealous of him. They're accusing him. Are oh, you just here because you're prideful? You're trying to flaunt that you're, you know, the, the king in waiting. And they, they're not really thrilled about him. 
But now that David's on the outs, oh, now you show up. Now you start coming here. So now I've got brothers who, you, you failed me before, but now you're going to show up along with a bunch of discontented um, people running from the law. So outlaws, people in debt, people in trouble. So he's just got all these people who are hurting, who are running, who are trying to hide themselves. So there's 400 people cramming into a cave trying to hide, trying to run from their problems, trying to escape. Okay? Can I ask you, why is it so easy to find groups of discontented people. Like, it's like, like seriously, if I complain on Facebook, if I just make a little complaint, I will have 500 comments of people being like, yeah, seriously. And you know what else? 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 Right? It's so easy to find discontented people. So easy to find people that are just hurting and just angry and upset and just life's a mess. It's because they're everywhere. They're all looking to escape their pain. They're looking, and so we think maybe by, by complaining or, being, or expressing this, or maybe if we gather with other people who are discontent, if we're all in this together, maybe, just maybe, we can change the story. Maybe if enough discontented people get together, we can change it. We can, we can relieve ourselves of this pain. And that's what's happening. David's, David's a guy who's in pain. It's, it's unjust. He's done nothing wrong. He's being attacked. And a bunch of people are just flocking to him. And he can't stay there forever. He can't stay in caves like that forever. So God tells David, you need to leave. Saul hears where David is, and he says, okay, hey, I heard David left the cave. He's over here now. We've got to go find him and kill him. So then David moves again, and God sends him to another town called Kelath. And they move on again, and he's wandering, and Saul hears that they're there again, and he sends more guys. So David's moving again. He can't even find peace in caves in the wilderness. He's trying to hide, and Saul just keeps coming after him. We're going to pick it up. Skip down to 1 Samuel 23. Verse 13, we're going to pick it up there, and it says this. So David and his men, about 600 of them now, because it continues to grow. It continues to grow. About 600 of them now left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go there after all. He's like, oh, he moved again, so forget that. David, verse 14, now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness in the hill country of Ziph. Again, good name for maybe a dog, Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. Don't you wish the story ended there? Verse 15, one day near Horash, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. He's just seriously just moving, 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 and Saul's hunting, 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 hunting. David received the news that Saul, so verse 16, now who enters the picture? Jonathan. Oh, it says Jonathan went to find David. And encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Listen to this. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horash. Can I tell you how great is Jonathan? Come on. We all need Jonathans in our life. David's hunt, he's just hiding in caves and running and he's probably getting exasperated. He's probably just feeling like, listen, maybe I should quit this. This isn't the life for me. I'm tired of this. 
It was easier just being a shepherd. At least I could stay in wilderness and I knew nobody was hunting me. The only thing I had to worry about were, were bears and lions. And I got that down. I got Goliath. I got bears and lions. This guy keeps hunting me with armies. Maybe it's time for me to quit on this wild goose chase of a dream. And Jonathan just says, no, my father's never going to find you. And you're going to be the king. I'm going to stand beside you through it all. If you don't have a Jonathan in your life, let me tell you, you need to get one. And just be one. Start with being one if you don't have one. Verse 19, it says, But now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah and betrayed David to him. We know where David is hiding. They said he is in the strongholds of Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. It's a great name. Verse 20, Come down whether you are ready. Whenever you're ready, O king, and we'll catch him and hand him over to you. These guys are a bunch of weasels. We know where he's hiding. We'll help you find him. Right? They're suck-ups, right? Listen to Saul. The Lord blessed you, says Saul. At least someone is concerned about me. Really? You're hunting a guy who's running from you, who wants nothing to do with you, who's done nothing but be good to you, and you're sitting here trying to play the victim card? Saul, you know, come on. Saul says, listen, go check again to be sure of where he's staying and and, and who has seen him there. For I know he's crafty. Basically, I'm tired of chasing this guy and him moving. I'm not wasting my energy anymore. Verse 23, discover his hiding places and come back when you're sure. Then I'll go with you. And if he's in the area at all, I'll track him down, even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. So the men of Ziph returned home ahead of Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah Valley, south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for them, he went even farther into the wilderness, to the great rock. And he remained there in the wilderness of Maon. But Saul kept after him in the wilderness. I mean, seriously, it's getting old. You feel like this? You ever feel like you're, you're, trying to, you're just trying to run and you just can't outrun your problems? You're going deeper and deeper and deeper. And guess what? They just keep coming and coming and coming. Like my dog has got a thing for chipmunks. And those little buggers, they hide like in, our, like in the, 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 the downspouts, you know, and in the gutters. And in the, my dog is tearing apart my siding because he knows they're in there. And they just keep going deeper in. Seriously, I'm going to have to like put cages around the sides of my house because the dog, he's just, they go deeper. He's going to keep coming. He's going to keep coming. And that's Saul. He's on the scent. David's going even further, and Saul keeps coming. Verse 26, Saul and David are now on opposite sides of a mountain. And just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, the end is coming. He's about to catch David. Just about then. Listen to what happens. An urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. Huh. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight. He's almost got him cornered. And at that time, a message comes and Saul's got to leave. And ever since that time, the place David camped has been called the Rock of Escape. And David then went to live in the strongholds of En Gedi. Man, how cool is God? How cool is God? Saul is relentlessly coming after David. He's being forced deeper and deeper. And just when it seems like it's about to be over... Just the moment David's like, listen, Saul's going to get me. Just at the moment where you're like, listen, the enemy's going to win here. It's inevitable. There's just, there's nowhere else to hide. Out of the blue, 
It just so happens the Philistines decide to attack that time. And the message reaches Saul. It could have reached him. I'm sure it wasn't an email, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a phone call. It wasn't a pigeon, right? This was a runner coming from wherever they were. So this had been like weeks in the making. And at that moment, it just so happens that Saul says, oh, something's going to turn my attention away from David. Isn't it amazing how God works? Reminds me what David said when he fought Goliath. Listen, the battle is the Lord's. He always wins. God is fighting for you. Eventually, Saul gets home, does his business, and says, all right, back to David. On the hunt again. Skip to verse, chapter 24, verse 1. As Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Saul means business this time. 3,000, not just 3,000 troops, 3,000 elite troops. They're hunting one guy. One guy who has done nothing to him. And he's bringing 3,000 elite troops. He's like, all right, we're going to get him this time. How threatened by David was Saul? How threatened by a man that had no interest whatsoever in hurting him? David's got nothing against Saul. And he's marched. Like, what does that cost? To feed, to outfit, to march 3,000 men. I'm going to tell you, fear is a liar. And can convince us to believe things about people that are absolutely not true. Sometimes we think there are people that are our enemies. That they are coming after us and we spend so much energy guarding against them. And they're not a threat at all. They're nothing. Fear is a liar. Verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. This is, I didn't make this up. And it just so happens that David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Like you understand what's going on here, right? Saul's got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, this cave looks good. Does God have a sense of humor? The God who orchestrates all things in life. How can we not say God doesn't have a sense of humor? Seriously, he chose. He's sitting there going, hmm, how are we going to make this? Inter- oh, I know how we're going to do this. Saul's going to have a lot of falafel for lunch, right? He's going to have to go. And ready, bowels now, right? And we'll go here. And it just so happens could have walked into any cave in the world and she walks into mine, right? He walks into David's cave. Can you imagine what David is thinking watching this happen? Right? Like, now remember, who else is in the cave with David? 600 men. But not just 600 ordinary men, right? Hurting men. Men on the run. Discontented men. Men with an axe to grind. Men who are in pain and looking for some way to relieve it. 
they're following David. They know his story. They know exactly what's happened. They know who that is. They know who this is. They get it in a moment. They understand. How do you think they're going to see this moment? I'm going to tell you because it tells us very clearly. Here's what they whisper. Ready? Verse 4. Now is your opportunity, David. David's men whispering to him. Whispering because Saul's going to the bathroom right there. Like They're whispering. And Saul doesn't know. It must have been dark. I'm guessing it's dark because he doesn't know that there's 600 men in a cave. It must have been a really big cave again. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Put yourself in David's shoes here. A shepherd boy. You know you've been chosen by God. You remember the oil dripping down your head as Samuel anointed you as king. You remember the lonely nights in the wilderness with the sheep. The adrenaline of charging at Goliath and seeing him go down. Right, The roar of the army behind you. Right, The great heroics. You remember returning to the sheep. The confusion. Right, The thrill of being called to serve in the king, to, to play music for him. Man, this is so great. Then the confusion that hits you as Saul begins to attack you and yell at you and throw spears at you. As jealousy and threats are poured out in your direction, all for serving with honor, with kindness. You've done nothing wrong. And now you've been on the run. On the run, on the run, on the run. You're, you're just wandering and hiding and escaping. You're living out this sense of constant stress and tension. Far from the palace that is yours to claim. And it appears that God has brought the source of your pain to your doorstep. And He's given you a golden opportunity to seal what He's promised to you. You see what's in front of David here. You have an army behind you breathing into your soul. Do it. Do it. This is God. This is God. This is your time, David. The Lord must have done this for you. Oh, boy. This is going to be the day that you become king. Do you feel the intensity of that moment? I mean, he's been running and running and running. There's 600 men. There's one guy right there. The source of all his pain is right there. And he's got the sword in his hand. He could end this right now. So what does David do? So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut the robe. It says, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Wow, wow, wow. This is a defining moment in David's life. And did you catch what David called Saul? What did he call him? He didn't say the king. He said, my Lord, the king. The anointed, the Lord's anointed one. Remember, Saul here is a bum. He's forgotten God. He's walked away. He's chasing David. He's completely out of his mind. He is not an honorable person. Yet David continues to treat him. With respect, he refuses to identify himself as king. David is not saying, I'm the king. He refuses to claim what, what he will be. He's just humbly accepting, listen, I'm a servant, that's the king. 
And that's the Lord's anointed one. That's God's job. It's not my place to decide who sits on the throne, and I won't assume that. So David restrained the men. How hard do you think it was to hold back 600 men who were hurting and thirsty for vengeance? And he's sitting right there. How hard do you think it was? Hard enough to restrain ourselves, but let alone 600 people. There are times when well-meaning people, perhaps even friends, are offended for you. And they want to dish out justice on your behalf. And it could be wrong. It could be wrong. And, you know, you could claim innocence. They could go ahead and do it. And you could be like, hey, that was them. I didn't really do it. I just, you know, listen, they were, you know, they took matters into their own hands. I didn't have to do anything. Sometimes it's on you to restrain others from being offended for you. That's messy. Yep. That's what David did. The power to restrain others from doing wrong comes first from your ability to restrain your own heart. See, because David himself stood up, he restrained them. He was not the only one who had to stop. He had to keep them from doing it too. Man, that's hard to do. It's one thing to answer for me, but it's something else to fight to help other people understand it's not on us right now. This is not us. This is not the way, it's not how we do this. This is not who we are. This is not what this is about. This is God's person. That's not our decision. It's heavy stuff. If you're a leader, if you lead any people, this is heavy stuff. David could restrain his men because he had restrained himself. And it continues. It says, after Saul left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him. Now pay attention to how David talks to Saul. Just listen to the, to the tone with which David talks to Saul. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed before him. 600 men are watching this. And he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece. I'm not just making this up. Look it. I got a hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do for me, but I will never harm you. That, even that's not my job. That's not even my place. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I'm not going to harm you because I got no evil here. I'm not trying to hurt you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who's as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? He's like, what are you doing, man? One person. I'm nothing to you. May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. Wow. 
So I was like, man, I just was going to the bathroom and a whole lot happened there I didn't understand. Like, what do you say to that? What do you say if you're Saul? You've been hunting this guy. You've got one picture of who David is in your mind, right? Oh, David's after me. He's trying to get the kingdom for me. He's trying, to, he's trying to kill me, so I've got to get him first. And then you come out with this? Wait, you had an opportunity to get me? And you didn't? What does that do to Saul? Verse 16, when David had finished speaking, Saul called back. Is that really you? My son David? And then he began to cry. Oh, man. And he said to David, You're a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. You have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let the enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. Finally, a moment of clarity and sanity for Saul. What that must have done for David. Think about David's men hearing this. What the power of this example is doing for them. David is showing them a better way. He's showing them character. And Saul wasn't done. He says, now I realize, listen, that you are surely going to be king. And that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. I bet David never forgot hearing those words. They were probably like just imprinted on his heart. Saul, the one who's been chasing him, now saying, you're going to be king. And you're going to do a really good job. You're going to be great at it. But then old Saul kind of has to get a word in edgewise. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens... You will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. You know, don't, hey, we're good. Like, don't hold it against me, right? Like, I know, like, I'm trying to kill you, but could you be like, we cool, we cool, 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 right? That's what he's saying. It's still not time for David to be king. Verse 22. So David promised this to Saul. Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to hurt you. And Saul went home, but David and his men, where'd they go? Did they go to the palace? No, they went back to the cave. And back to the stronghold. The only thing now is what previously seemed maybe like a promise a long way off is now perhaps becoming a reality. So God called David a man after his own heart. Remember this. So what is it about David's heart in this? That was like God. What do we see here about his character and his integrity? I mean, it was put to the test. David had a, ch- had a choice. He had a moment. And it's put to the test right there. No one would have blamed him for taking advantage of the situation, right? If, if that story had read, and David killed Saul and became king, we all would say, isn't it cool how God put Saul in David's, just brought him there to, to make it easy for him? Like, that could be the story, and we could be sitting here going, that was pretty cool. How God just totally provided for David, right? And just opened the door, and now David became king. And that was the pathway. But we don't read that. We read that David showed us a different way. Saul was bad. David was good. Saul was chasing. David was running. Saul was there. David had the means. Yet David listened to his heart and restrained himself and his men. Here's what we find out about David's heart. His heart was true. And when I say true, what that means is that no matter the situation, no matter how understandable it would be for you to compromise, no matter how reasonable it would be for you to take matters into your own hands, no matter how important you think the situation is, the kingdom is on the line here. The, the, 
the, the impact in a nation of people is on the line here. A heart that is true will always do the right thing. The right thing is always the right thing, no matter the cost. David had a heart that would always do the right thing. At least for now. Some of you know the rest of the story. But what we see here is that David was tired and hurting and confused and surrounded by people telling him to do what he wants and just to to take matters into his own hands and to even go so far as to claim God's providence. This is the Lord doing it for you. And in that moment, David's heart stayed true. Defining moment in David. Refuse to violate who I am. If God wants me to be king, so be it, but not that way. Not that way. He refused to take what was not his to take. In time, we'll see how this moment would come back to serve David years down the road. So how did David have a heart that was true? And more importantly, how can we have a heart that's true? How can we know if what we're about to do is right? When others around us may be feeding us things that make black and white seem more like gray. And you're not so sure. How do you know what's right? How do you know what's the true way? David wrote some songs in those caves. And one of those was Psalm 142. It says it was written in that cave on that day. This is what he says. He says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. Verse 3, when I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. See, when David was in the cave, when you feel like I've got to run to a cave right now, I just want to hide. When you're in that moment where you're just trying to escape pain and something comes, you go, I just want to run away. Three steps to getting out. He cried out. David cried out. You ask for help. You cry out to God. Say, God, I'm going to cry out to you. Jesus, I'm, I'm hurting and I don't know which way is right. And I've got everybody telling me a thousand different things. And I don't know which way is right, God. And I want my heart to be true. I want to do what's right. And I don't know what it is. Cry out. But guess what? David didn't just cry out. The second thing he did is he poured it out. He unloaded it all. Let me tell you what I'm feeling, God. I began to tell him all my troubles, all my complaints. And I'm angry about this. And this doesn't make any sense. And this isn't fair. And this is what I wanted. And you just unload. Listen, you cry out, ask for help, and then you begin to pour it out. Empty it. Let nothing sit in there. Empty it. He's big enough. He can handle it. He can handle it. David did it. I cried out. I poured it out. And then last, look out. Look out. God will guide you. You alone know the way I should turn. You know where I'm supposed to go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry out, I'm going to pour it out, and then I'm going to look out. I'm going to watch. Because God, you tell me. You know the true way forward. David's not the only one who had cave moments. Jesus had plenty of cave moments. Right? Some were in deserts where he cried out. Some were in gardens where he cried out. And like David, Jesus suffered for doing nothing, nothing wrong. He did everything right and he suffered for it. And Jesus had the opportunity for revenge. He had the opportunity to take matters into his own hands and to do it his own way. To take the, the shortcut that was presented to him. Hey, you could, you could do the kingdom a different way. You don't have to suffer. You could just end this now. You could skip all this stuff on the journey. You can go straight to the end. 
And Jesus restrained himself. You know who we are? We're the 600. We're the, we're the people in the cave, hurting and confused. And we want, just, listen, maybe that's God. And we're sitting here. And Jesus and David, they're modeling for us restraint. Saying, hey, be true. Don't violate who you are to get what you want. Be true. Cry out, pour it out, and look out. You know what David discovered about those caves in those moments? We find it all throughout the Psalms. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Keep me safe, O God, for I come to you for refuge. Taste and see the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. See, God is the cave. That wasn't just some random cave. That was the presence of God right there. When you want to run to a cave, you know what you need to run to? You need to run to God. He is your cave. He is your fortress. He is your stronghold. He is that place of safety. When the world is just crowding in and you want to escape the pain, you run to Jesus. And when you're there, you cry out to him and you pour it out. And you look out, and there's going to come a day where God says, okay, it's time to leave the cave. And this is how we're going to leave the cave. We're going to walk out of here with our head held high because we did not violate who we are in this season. Sometimes it feels like everything is against you. God's got you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, Or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.